If I told you where I was going, it wouldn't be a holiday. Welcome to Mission Impossible Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons. I'm at Falcon Screen. That was the tune from, hands down, the worst Mission Impossible film, Mission Impossible 2, filmed right here. We'll see about that. We'll see about that because we'll be fighting about that later in the program, as we will be Mission Impossible 6, which is in cinemas tomorrow, Fallout. The fallout from this discussion is going to be intense. They should have just called it Mission Impossible 6, though, right? Like... Who cares about these these dumb titles? No, but we'll then everyone would call it MI6, which would be like weird. Oh yeah, that's a very <laughs> but perfectly appropriate, right? Yeah, but perfectly. But MI5 would be in the same problem, which is why they call it Rogue Nation. But anyway, um, we will be talking about that later in the program. Should I just introduce who we have on the panel? Virat Nehru, a creative writer, film and critic for films. <laughs> right, I'm screwed that terribly. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. I just fuse those introductions together. Works. It works. It works. But, we are creative people. But first up, we are talking about. It's festival season, and the Korean Film Festival in Australia is hitting our cinemas in, Sydney, cinemas in Sydney from the 8th of August through to the 19th. And we have with us to discuss this year's festival program, David Park, the director of the festival. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk about the festival, but before we get into some individual films, can you tell us about the festival, what is its aims, what is it going for, and what are the types of films you're showing this year? Um, so basically, this is our ninth year um, down under, and uh, this year we're in Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Canberra. Uh, I guess our festival just aims to, uh, you know, uh, introduce as many diverse genres of Korean film as possible to the domestic audience here in Australia. Um, yeah, and as mentioned, we've been doing this for about nine years, and um, the support is continually growing each year, which is great to see. Wonderful. Now I've been I'm going to arrange my tickets, but one film I'm particularly interested in seeing is Gunjam Haunted Asylum. Now, we've talked about different types of uh, approaches to filmmaking on the show and how there's films like Chronicle, where it's from the POV of a filmmaker or amateur filmmaker. And this seems very much along those lines, but it also has a few very different twists about it. Yeah, um, I guess um, it touches on um, the whole genre that was uh, sparked through the found footage um, genre, which um, the Blair Witch Project did so fantastically. Um, I guess this is uh, Korea's uh, attempt at um, the the genre. And um, I was very, uh, uh, I was very interested in, um, I guess, the way the film explored the whole um, contemporary uh, notion of, um, you know, live streaming, um, YouTube, and um, brought it in so seamlessly into this genre. Um, it's a terrifying film. Um, it's actually a very scary film. Um, and uh, it was just executed so well for, um, you know, a director who um, has not worked with um, actors of, I guess, uh, of this caliber. I mean, he chose actors who had rarely never acted before, but um, their reactions are just, uh, you know, amazing. One of the films I was really interested in is A Taxi Driver. Um, this one sounds like it's touching on a pretty core issue in Korea's history. Could you tell us a little bit about that one for people who aren't familiar with the subject matter? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's set in the 1980s. Um, 
And it's based on the story of a taxi driver who usually works in Seoul.、Um, now,、uh, he one day hears that,、uh, you know, that there is a foreigner who wants to pay big money for him to take、uh, him down to Gwangju City. And、um, Gwangju is located to the, toward the south of、um, the South Korean Peninsula. And、uh, once he makes it down there,、um, he realizes that.、Um, Um, the city is under siege by the military government. And、um, what it's, I guess, that in the backdrop of, I guess,、uh, the Gwangju massacre, which was one of the most tragic、uh, historical events in,、um, I guess, modern Korean history. And、um, I guess it's a very,、uh, you know, in the words of、uh, Sherry Linden、um, from the Hollywood Report, I think she puts it very fantastically.、Um, she says it's a richly imagined tribute to a Korean working class hero. Um, um, it's by the director,、uh, Jang Hoon, who has worked very closely with an international、um, uh, Korean film icon,、um, Kim Gi Dok.、Mm. Um, and.、Uh, Yeah, it's definitely a film to look out for.、Um, he doesn't really go into the gore and violence of the massacre, but you know, it's very emotionally、uh, mature and astute. Would you say that it's similar in style to Kim Ki Duk's approach?、Um, no, actually. And、right. I guess、um, one of the biggest reasons、um, that Jang Hoon kind of had a bit of a falling out with、um, Kim Ki Duk was、um, that he did not, I guess, Um, assimilate fully into Kim Gi Dok's style. I guess he was trying to raise him up to be his next, next、uh, protege, but、um, he kind of,、um, I guess,、uh, cast that aside and、um, set about his own style and, you know, seeked out you know, more mainstream films, topics which resonated more with the mainstream audience. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I find Kim Gi Dok can be hard to get into sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That goes for me too. Yeah. yeah. Changing track completely from hard to get into films to very easy to get into films, I wanted to touch upon the sports movie that's playing Champion. And it's got a really interesting twist to it. I mean, usually you find the sports being mentioned and talked about as very grandiose, and you know, the journey seems to be for a very sort of involving sport. But here the person wants to be an arm wrestling champion, which、mm. is a very interesting thing to be. So, can you tell us a bit about that movie? Because that seems to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah,、um, I don't think Korea's had a film about、um, arm wrestling. And、uh, to be honest,、um, it's not a very easy topic to cover in a filmic sense. I mean, it's,、um, I think there's、uh, you know, a very narrow scope to work with、um, when you're just、um, having this story about an arm wrestler. But、um, the reason why、um, the film was very、uh, popular. Um, domestically, was because of the main、um, starring actor,、um, who I guess goes by his, his English name is、um, Don, Don Ma.、Uh, and uh, he is actually very renowned for having a very big physique. So he's kind of, I guess, like、um, the Dwayne Johnson of Korea. And for him to come out in this film, which boasts his,、uh, I think his arms are, I think his biceps are about 22 inches. Oh, okay.、So, <laughs> All right. Yep. Glenn is a huge. To give you context, Glenn is a huge Dwayne Johnson fan. So you just pissed right all over him right now. No, so we, 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 we want to team these guys up, definitely. 
So I mean, yeah, there was there were actually talks of uh, when uh, when um, uh, Dwayne Johnson was uh, in Asia doing his uh, press tour. I think it was for Rampage or Skyscraper. Um, there was actually talks of um, getting these two together to have like an arm wrestling match. Um, well, obviously, it didn't come to come to fruition. Um, it would been freaking. It would have been really awesome to have seen something like that. But um, yeah, so this guy, he has his you know, 22 inch arms. I mean, and that's, I guess, is the ma- a main selling point um, of this film. Um, but uh, the director, um, Kim Young-wan, actually goes uh, a lot deeper into uh, the identity of, I guess, um, Koreans raised uh, overseas, because the main character, um, played by um, Don Lee, um, Mark, is a Korean who immigrant who was born in the U.S. coming back to Korea to make a name for himself through arm wrestling. So um, there are a few more dimensions to this whole film compared to just him arm wrestling a few guys and um, you know going out to become a champion in the field. That's really interesting that uh, there's still an aspect of social commentary involved in this and not just an out and out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of popcorn movie as they would say yeah i i just um i think um it's i guess it's a very mature approach and um i just feel that you know audiences are now looking for uh more depth in films um your you know just your regular shoot 'em up movies or um films that are quite one or two dimensional um it just doesn't resonate as well in the box office i just feel and um, I guess there is a need now for directors to get more uh, creative, to get more uh, in-depth and develop and bring out those characters. Right. Um, a film that does sound like it goes a bit more in-depth into developed characters, judging by the description at least, is Microhabitat. Um, Microhabitat. This, mm-hmm. Yeah, this one really sounds to me like an American indie type film. Um, and the poster gives the, the kind of minimalistic, you know, really production designed kind of vibe of that, that sort of movie as well. But, um, yeah, I was wondering what you could tell us about it. Yeah, um, I think it's um, a great debut. Uh, it's a debut film of a director called John Go-Woon. Now, uh, John Go-Woon is actually part of a, I guess, a filmmaking, uh, indie filmmaking production house called Guanghua Moon Cinema. Now, they've been um, quite prominent coming up in the scene since um, 2014. And um, it's a group of directors who are friends, and each of them um, annually release a feature film. And um, she is... Uh, so John Gowoon, I guess, um, this is her debut film, and um, it opened at the Busan International Film Festival last year. And uh, it it was received very well. I think it was one of the most talked about films of the festival um, last year. And I just really felt that um, it was a really great uh, testament to the strength of Korean art house cinema. You know, you've got this very great um, encapsulating uh, lead character um, who is a female character. Uh, um, I, I just felt, I just feel, um, you know, we need more films like this, which showcase these uh, amazing characters. Um, we need more women on screen. Mm. And um, I just really feel that uh, Miso, the main character in this film, is a very lovable character. Right. And um, her journey, I guess, uh, 
through couch surfing her friends' houses uh, is uh, acts as a very big social commentary. Right. And um, Shonka Woon is also a woman behind the camera, and yes. she'll also be coming to the festival. Yes. Can you she tell will, us? She will be there um, for a Q&A, and um, she will be also joined by the producer of the film. Can you tell us about some of the other guests coming? Um, so we have Chang Hang Jun, who is uh, another film director, coming in for a Q&A of his session. Um, and the film that he directed, um, which is in our program, is called Forgotten. So um, it's about, uh, I guess, a village college student um, who moves into a new house with his family, and one day his older brother gets uh, kidnapped. Now, um, the kicker is, um, after 19 days, the older brother comes back, but he has no recollection or memory whatsoever of, his, uh, of the time that he was away from his family. And um, I guess it goes into um, the main character's uh, mental frame um, as he's not... I guess he suffers from schizophrenia, and um, it's... It's a psychological thriller from there because um, right. um, everything that all oh, the other characters are saying just seems to conflict with memories. And um, and there's a huge, huge twist um, throughout the film which just changes the whole dynamics and just flips it on its head. Sounds good. Are there any other films we haven't mentioned that you might recommend? Um, um, I think um, I'm very proud of our opening film as well. Um, it's called Little Forest. Um, it's about it's a it's a nice film that um, I guess um, the whole family can watch. Um, uh, it's about a girl who lives in the city, um, who moves into the countryside, um, and she just you know uh, delves into the simple life, just growing her own food and um, just making friends with um, old uh, I guess childhood friends who dwelled in that rural neighborhood. And um, although it feels like there's not a lot going on in the story, um, it's just beautifully filmed, um, showcases the whole four seasons of the Korean rural landscape. And uh, it's just one of those films that you can watch lightheartedly and just, um, you know, come out at the end of the film just feeling refreshed and um, healed. Um, And I just felt that there weren't many films that, kind of had the power that this film had. Um, if anything, um, I'd r- definitely recommend um, Little Forest, which is our opening film. Well, thank you, Dad. Looking forward to it. So the festival's very soon. For people who want to go, where do we go? Where do we seek it out? And how do we get tickets? Sure. Um, more information can be found on www.coffia.com.au. So that's K-O-F-F-I-A. Um, we are open at the Dendi Cinemas in Opera Keys, so right next to the Opera House. So, uh, you know, it's perfect for a, for a date, perfect for a stroll around the Circular Key after the film. Nice views, um, yeah. Yep. Mm, great views. I'll so make we'll sure there. that I find a date so, so I can um, take advantage of the views. Things just got strangely <laughs> personal <laughs> to close out this, <laughs> this interview. But Dendi Opera Keys... It's a beautiful location, so we'll definitely there's a few cinemas down there, so definitely seek it out. And uh, tickets available online, and or we can get them at the box office right there. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. 
Wonderful. Well, David, look, it's been a pleasure. We're looking forward to the festival. Thank you so much. And we're looking forward to seeing some excellent Korean cinema. Yep, look forward to seeing you guys. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And we'll be right back with our review of Mission Impossible 6 Fallout. Stay tuned um, if you choose to accept. Okay, I, I I gotta admit that that's pretty good. The theme the theme was cool. The theme was yeah. the, th- the theme was good. Is is that the is that the one saving grace of this film? No, we'll, everything we'll about see. this everything about this movie was very cool. No, we are talking about that. We were just and then we were talking about Mission Impossible Two. I don't think there was a subtitle. It was just Mission Impossible Two. <laughs> no, back back in those days, there there weren't subtitles. But since then, they've all sounded like Xbox games. Mission Impossible <laughs> Ghost Protocol. Mission Impossible. Rain- Tom Clancy's Day. Rainbow Six Rogue Nation. <laughs> Yeah. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Fallout. Yeah, we literally could, sell Fallout. We, we don't need a plot. But like, it's kind of like the same with the plotting of this. We don't really need a plot. People want to destroy the world because violence begets better things or whatever. We're not really sure. Just general. We, we, we know what the world needs yeah. and wants. Tom Cruise running. That's what the world needs. Okay, this added an extra at least 15 minutes to an amazing Tom Cruise running supercut. Yeah. But, no, but honestly, uh, I was reading this uh, editorial from Rotten Tomatoes about the extensive running Tom Cruise does in his movies and whether that corresponds to the success of the movies in the box office. And it does? Yeah, it and does, apparently. Yeah, apparently yeah, it's yeah, true. Um, IndieWire, I saw this. It was That's pretty hilarious. I mean, look, even running is, has always been great. Let, let, yes, let's admit, he has a great run. He, so like, he has a great run. <laughs> it does have a great and, run. And as does the series, Mission Impossible 6. Yes, it has. Six. Twi- on its 22nd year now. On its 22nd year. Or, and, uh, you know, 50-something years, 53 years, I think, so, or 51 since the TV show. Oh, I, I, I've never Something actually like seen that. too much of the TV show. Neither though. have I. Have what, well, yeah. Look, my introduction. Look, this is, isn't TV Fight Club, okay? This is film Fight Club. And this <laughs> Don't is, call us to complain. And this is not just. <laughs> and this is not just a film for me because Mission Impossible One was the first action film I ever saw. So this is pretty special for me. This, mm. however, is Mission Impossible Six Fallout. It is the first time we have a returning director to the franchise, which is Christopher McQuarrie, and it's now stars, BFFs with Tom Cruise. Yes, um, and it stars, of course, Tom as Ethan Hunt, as Ving Rhames returns, Rebecca Ferguson returns from. Uh, Rogue Nation, Simon Pegg and Alec Baldwin rock up. There's a mustache. Sorry, there's a Henry Cavill with a mustache. Henry Cavill Terminator with a mustache. He's very good in this. No, Um, he's such a bad actor. He's he's such a cardboard cutout. Sorry, you watch The Tudors. He's Charles Brandon. I know, but this is not The Tudors. This is MI whatever. People are calling this one of the greatest action movies of all time. That's the early buzz. What do we think? All right, so... First of all, I've got to explain my general view on this series. This series started as an anthology. By that, I mean each of them were individual episodes. And then as when J.J. Abrams took over, Come Ghost Protocol, they started to resemble three, more of a mean, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From three onwards, they oh, have continuity, oh, more recurring characters other than Ving Rhames just rocking up. Yes. Um, and But Ghost Protocol, you know, at the end they say, there's this thing called The Syndicate, and this is essentially a direct sequel to Rogue Nation. It's starting to go yep. as a series now. Um, I think this is the best film since the first one. It's the fourth time I've said it. I don't like the second one, but I think since the third one, they've gotten progressively better. One of the reasons I like this is that this veers very close to the first one. It is a script for De Palma, but very sadly, I think without the touches of a director as talented as De Palma, I also think it's a problem because they go into way too much comic relief. This film did not need the amount of reprieves it had. The first one, and even the second one for all its faults, was incredibly cool and was okay with being self-serious and self-confident. The others, including this one, have never been. And as good as this is, that is, they are, it is a massive attraction for the series, including Fallout. 
But on <laughs> Do you want to say something, Chris? Well, first? I'll let you. Okay, Fallout. Um, stake the whatever. Look, the the action is so good, right? Oh yeah. I'm not going to, you know, deny that it could be one of the best action movies ever. Uh, no, it's it's not. Um, but by virtue just of of the triumphant little moments in action scenes. This movie has a lot to recommend it for. The way that the scenes are constructed is great. There's a chase sequence in the middle of the movie where the dynamics of the chase after an interlude in the middle reverse. So we get to see Tom Cruise in one role and then break the tension release and then suddenly the exact opposite of what we've just watched. Fantastically put together, amazing sound design, great location photography. It's pretty much an old school action movie and that it, the appeal of it is seeing somebody do stunts and uh, globetrotting locations around the world, something that we've lost touch with in the aftermath of, you know, here it comes, Marvel and all the other CG-driven action blockbusters we get these stunts. days. Yeah, exactly. And that's a big part of the appeal of this movie. Um, this reason I don't think it's as, as great as some of the early hype would have you believe is that I don't care about any of the drama between the action scenes. I think it's like it's reasonably well executed. There are some nice little gotcha, aha moments, but the plotline is an assemblage of points from Mission Impossible 3, 4, 5, and 6. Like the um, the villain is doing the same thing that the villain in Ghost Protocol was doing. The climax is very similar to the climax of and Ghost Protocol. Five. And number five. Yeah, four, especially 4, 5, and 6. And arguably two as well. Yeah, um, it, you know, we're seeing these same kinds of scenarios, the same kinds of villains, um, the same kinds of concepts. And even number three with the rabbit's foot, it's the same shit. Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's just that it's been reconfigured in a different way with better action scenes. The action scenes don't have such spectacular gimmicks as we've seen in the past. Um, the Burj Khalifa, I think, in Ghost Protocol will be impossible to it's top. It's still a I series think. high. I mean, I like the bullet train in the first one, but the Burj Khalifa, just for the image of Cruise, hang off. And this is half the, the fun comedy. seeing Cruise do his own stunts. I have issues with the comedy in the series, and we can get into that later, but I, th- I do think the Burj Khalifa is a series high. I mean, but the Burj Khalifa scene, though, in, in is an example of the comedy working. This movie, I think, would be better if it were played a bit more seriously. The Khalifa was was like watching a, you know, a Jackie Chan, Buster Keaton kind of thing, you know, the, the comedy of him sort of falling and hanging on to things. Um, in this movie, the action's played pretty much straight and serious, but um, it's the it's a bit too much action, honestly, or maybe it's too much action for having characters that I don't care about that much. The final action stretch is fantastic, but in the lead up, so good. To, yeah, but in the lead up to that, I was I checked my my clock and I was thinking, hang on, this feels like it should be ready to end, not have like forty fifty more minutes to go. It's interesting uh, because I've been wondering to, or at least trying to think about what makes a good action movie. Like, is the action enough to make it a good action movie? If I do get to see original action pieces, is that enough in terms of my value for money? Or do I need more out of it? And do I need a good dramatic kind of setup to actually sustain me throughout that sort of thing? And like, if you think about, it, like, let's say, Hark Back to Logan and stuff, where this is where action movies are going, where things are starting to be all about, you know, mushy-mushy and less of action and more of the dramatic stakes. Yeah, I think it depends. But in that sense, it's an old school thing. Yeah, uh, but also what, what I do like, and I agree with Chris, is that we got to see real action in this movie. Like, you know, I, I could feel the trend tension in the cinema hall, and I, yep. I could see Glenn's face contort in many different 
ways which I haven't seen physically contort. It was possible when Cruz was falling off places and hurting his ankle and breaking his bones, literally, in this case. So it was it was actually good to see, you know, in that sense, which felt real, it felt immediate, and that sort of detachment was drawn away from this movie. But at the same time, uh, let's talk about the acting cause, and the actual sort of dramatic stakes, and I felt... That was a real letdown. Cavell was Cavell Cavill. Cavill Henry Cavill. Cavill. There we go. August was, Walker. Yeah. Oh God. What I a mean, name. Yeah. Yeah. What a. Yeah. He, he was just you know he was just December throughout this movie so cold and oh. you know no expression on his face. Rebe- what about Rebecca Ferguson? No, I mean I'll give you Alec Baldwin and Simon Pegg who are big bugbears about the series. And Ferguson Rain, was like every no. Uh, oh. Rebecca Ferguson was uh, Vanessa Kirby was the best thing. About oh yeah, this movie. she was. She was had a very elegant hark back to the first film one of many. She is one of the best things about this. We don't want to ruin the what it is, but. It's very, very fun. With what Virat was saying about whether you know whether these actors are good or not in the scenes between matters or not, I think it does if you make it a focus of the movie. I think um, you can make a great movie that's almost entirely action, like Mad Max Fury Road, but which has less drama stuff between the action sequences. Um, but in doing so, the drama and minimalistic character development in that movie. I think is way more affecting than anything in Mission Impossible Fallout. And I make that comparison because a lot of critics are comparing it in terms of being a relentless action movie, constant chases to that. Um, I think, yeah, the problem is that whenever the action scenes are going on, you do, as Virat said, feel the tension. There are great little moments of, will he make it through this? Will he not? Are they going to pull through where you're really engaged? And then it gets back to the script level, people standing around and... Um, double-crossing each other and whatever, and it's, like, been there, done that. Um, I, I think that stuff just isn't that well executed. Like, the the action, as I said, doesn't have maybe as interesting gimmicks if you were to describe what the action scenes are compared to the previous films, but it's just so well executed. But um, the, on the other hand, the drama goes to such crazy lengths, but um, in terms of the complexity of it and the double-crosses, and but comparing it to... Um, Mission Impossible 1, which is entirely driven by those sorts of espionage confrontations and is much more simpler, but way better pulled off. I think Chris McQuarrie doesn't really exhibit any um, genius for the paranoia and the espionage drama side of this mov- these movies. Yeah, I, th- I do agree with that. There's a couple of sequences in this um, that are identical to the marvelous train sequence where we first meet Luther and the John Renault character in this, that the dialogue and the style, there's a sequence in a in Paris, which is very similar to even John Wick and has, even has the touches of eyes wide shut about it, this fantastical dialogue, which worked when Brian De Palma did it. I don't think Macquarie has the self-confidence to pull it off. It's, it's pretty flat, Yeah, honestly. The... the... You've you've seen it before. Yeah. Um, in terms of the action, I'm going to say what I liked about it was that it was nonstop. The second act, by that I mean a minute, ten minutes, about an hour, ten minutes of this film, is about the closest any action film I've ever seen has got to the spy versus spy, double, triple crossing, identity dynamic, which is incredible, which is good for two other reasons. Number one, Tom Cruise, seeing him pull all of the stuff. But two, the action scenes are derivative of the plot and the characters, because we actually need to shoot out now. They tell us a lot about them. The halo jump at the beginning of the second act. Yeah, that was good. all about that to know about the dynamics between Cavill and Cruz, which persists. I agree. That was great. I was getting hangry in the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just, and lastly, in terms of the tension, 
I liked that a lot of times they didn't feel the need to stop and make a joke to break it up. De Palma's film worked because it was just action, action, and action. And if you look at the train sequence, it was a bit of a preview when the conductor fell down. It was similar, Chris, I will give you the Burj Khalifa. The only comic reprieve was at the end when Simon Pegg walks in. We need that breath. We need that release. Here is a little bit too, bit too much. There's a scene where he's about to jump out a window, and it's great. But then someone says... He says, I'm about to jump out a window in case, yes, we know it's preposterous. We're not here because in spite well, of the action, because of the action, we guys. want to see this absurd action. Yeah. So I felt break up the tension in that way was a little bit too much, and it did take away from a lot of the dramatic tension and the action sequences to boot. The two good things that I do like about this movie is, firstly, it sold its uh, two female lead crisis. You know, when Michelle oh, yeah. Monaghan was just uh, after the third movie you know you don't know whether she exists she, no, she, she, she rocks was, up for a cameo at the yeah, end where they're like yeah, yeah we, we know we said that he was settling exactly. down so I'm, I'm glad I'm, and uh, you know she's not dead don't I'm, worry guys I'm glad they solved it because she was a real ghost protocol for the you <laughs> yeah. know the second sort of the protocol of what do we do with the ghosts <laughs> of her, her character yeah. and, and they pretty much include all the important bits of that in the trailer anyway yeah so th- I'm glad that uh, you know that uh, that sort of tension between Rebecca Ferguson and her character sold. And the most importantly is a personal victory. I'm glad that Tom Cruise was the one which sold the crisis in my homeland. I'm not going to give it away. You know, those people <laughs> know. Oh, they, they, they really tipped her around that. It's actually quite... You, you'll you'll okay. see how they do it. Um, we, we do want to talk about this more. We have one minute left oh, and we're going to be talking about this in the podcast in so much more detail. I want to complain about the trajectory of Ethan Hunt's inverted commas character (laughs) over the course of this series and And this is you know if i can sneak in one last comment man this guy he's it's just he's the savior that's it he has no character except that he's the noblest most pure guy ever to get involved in international espionage that's it and we will be talking and he, about, and he does impossible things. And we will talk more about all the impossible things Ethan Hunt has done on the podcast. Join us next week. By however, keeping his moral compass. In Melbourne for the Melbourne International Film Festival. We'll be covering so many films at MIF, which will be reading cinemas anytime soon. So please do tune in. And also subscribe to the podcast where we're talking Mission Impossible. If you MIF. choose to download it. If you choose to download it. It will not self-destruct. We but promise. This episode will in in uh well I should have had a ten second. Now it was self-destructed ten, nine. Eight. Eight. It won't really self-destruct. Seven, six. It's going to be okay. Five, four. Glenn Falcon said, Chris Evans, for you have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. It wouldn't be a holiday. Good night. And this is the Film Fight Club podcast talking about Mission Impossible without Superstar. They always get a little more creative with how they do the, you know, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. I, I did appreciate the very sort of Iliad and Odyssey kind of reference. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was so over the top. No, it, it was better than, you know, receiving black sunglasses when you're climbing up no some... nothing will ever be better than <laughs> the black sunglasses <laughs> being shot out of a cannon <laughs> onto on Utah like what was that whole film <laughs> why don't they just hand him the sunglasses <laughs> yeah the, the, the one film <laughs> that, that puts brightless sands and La Perouse on the map is such a bad one. Oh my god there's almost nothing redeeming about that film. the trajectory of this series is uh, I, I disagree with that in a big way but the the <laughs> trajectory of this series is a really strange one. You go back and you watch Mission Impossible 1 and it reminds you how much we've lost in big budget filmmaking. Because it's you know, it's, it's so good. It's still so bloody it's good. It's so smart compared to anything that would be hitting cinemas today. Like it's so clearly aimed at adults, right? And, and, and also, there's no like twelve year olds are okay with this protection in it. And just the idea of how you set up action pieces and like how do you set up tension within those action set pieces? I mean, 
it only has about two or three. That's right. It only really ones. has two yeah. action scenes and, and one yet, sort of suspense you, scene. You remember both of them very clearly. Yeah, that's Everyone right. Everyone knows no. Tom Cruise falling to the floor and suspending himself. Everyone Which remembers. Is a trademark from the TV show, I believe. Always having scenes where yeah. people get lowered from the ceiling. Yeah. And the bullet two train. Does it. Hashtag shout out to Doom 2, which copied that sequence, uh, and many others from Mission Impossible series. But anyway. But, yeah. but can we talk about what how that worked so well? It was the most effective action noir, and there aren't a lot of noirs that are predominantly action films. I mean, but the film, it isn't really, by today's standards, predominantly an action film. I would call it a, a suspense thriller, an espionage thriller. Back which, then it was an action but film. But back then it was an action film. As I said, it just shows you how much we've lost. Yeah, now we need, that, not that I'm objecting uh, to the second act of this film, but you need an hour plus of... Uh, of just non-stop yeah. action like in Mission uh, a Impossible A movie 6. like this would never get made and sold on the scale that Mission Impossible was back then. No, but then Tom Cruise wasn't the... Although he was the entity somewhat back yeah, then. Yeah, that's Gunn, the thing. The Look, firm. Looking at movies like Mission Impossible and Mission Impossible 2, it reminds us of um, how movies used to be just sold on the actor's name. And you know, now if, you have to pack so many... And Alec Baldwin, who should never have been cast yep. in this series, he's so... I think so movies hammy. today need to be so much more high concept in a way that's divorced from the star. Like, you know, it's got to be like Aquaman. He's the man who swims in mermaids and sea creatures. You know, they, it, Mission Impossible 2, it's basically, yeah, it's an action movie with Tom Cruise. And, and people went, whoa, and it was the biggest movie of the year. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad they did because it was still okay. bloody fantastic. Look, I saw it last night on TV, and I don't watch movies on TV anymore. Man. Like, you know, because you would just get sick of the ads. But look, I was like waiting. the restaurant scene where he, ru- he has the garment and explodes and he runs out. <laughs> no, that's it's a Mission Impossible running. 1. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The thing about Mission Impossible 2. Thank you, that- Chris. <laughs> Talk about the 2. <laughs> yeah, the thing about 2 coming after 1 is it suddenly you, c- you can see um, this movie, this series defining itself by what it's going to be. Um, in a big way. One, it's now no longer an espionage thriller, but a series about Tom Cruise climbing on things as Ethan Hunt's <laughs> first appearance in this movie. Don't is, forget the doves. Yeah, a rock climbing stunt. <laughs> he and also climbs on Thandie Newton, which is... Uh, yes, you know, he does. Yeah. And uh, two, she climbs on him as well. I, I know, it's equal opportunity, which is great. Yeah. Um, and what, that's the chimera virus? Yeah. It's absurd. But the, it's an absurd plot. But the second thing that the movie does to distinguish itself from the first one is completely rewrite who Ethan Hunt is. In the first movie, he was he seemed like not a nice guy. Like he had good ethics, so you could believe in him as the hero, but he was the kind of person I would believe is an actual spy. Like he's he's kind of cynical and he, he doesn't trust people and he's just trying to sort of you know get out of this situation alive. Suddenly the series became Tom Cruise's vanity project where it's more and more about, as the series goes on, starting with two, he becomes nicer and nicer, and it becomes more and more about his incorruptible ethics, especially starting with number three. He becomes a teacher, and then right. he goes after the people who killed his star pupil, up yeah. by Melissa George, I think. That's right. He yeah. has no consistency of characterization over the course of this series, and it's reached the point in... It especially, yeah, with number three starts becoming this shining white knight character. And in number six, we've got a pause for Ving Rhames to deliver a speech about how amazing um, Tom Cruise's character is. Ving Rhames also has changed quite a lot. He was like the cool, oh, cool, icy, be, I, I don't like, know, badass man. hacker man. I just man don't know. In the original. He didn't know he was a good guy or the bad guy. Yeah. In the second one, he kind of just, he wanted the holiday in Sydney, so yeah. everyone rocked He was up. like, he was a cool, a cool spy team member who, who had tech skills. He he gave a lot more, showed a lot of personality. He, now he's like the lovable 
team mascot. It, so is Simon, so is Benji. So, so it's all Simon it's all character. lovable. It's just everything's been marvelized where you need to love all the characters and they need to be cute and quippy. We can no longer have a big but you know a big budget mass audience movie with kind of characters who maybe sometimes reflect the darkness that actual people James have. James Bond is the one exception, and this is nothing like James yes. Bond, except James, for the extent that, that he's become the this Bond, I do infallible that, figure. that Bond went in the opposite direction and made Daniel Craig much darker than Pierce Brosnan had been. Yeah, it's interesting how Bond is going actually, like, you know, and they're trying to actually reconcile Bond's annoyingness with the... Uh, some kind of gravity and give him some kind of character which he has never had in in his campy own way mm-hmm. and they're making him some kind of real life person but in that sense i think it's the fast and furious effect it's yeah, all, yeah. everything is about family now but more like, than, like yeah. you know you, you don't have characters or people with their own motivations you just do everything for the family and it's 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 just there's a lot of family and there's I a lot just, of you I know. Wanted, I just wanted to kill family. a lot of family, the like you know. I just I just <laughs> it felt like I wanted to hate family, like you know. The, the idea of family was just putrid and puerile by the end of it. This is, uh, this is love song dedications with Virat Nehru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, sorry, Richard. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been, he's been <laughs> off the Richard Mercer? Yeah, he's been yeah, off the since 2013, as I learned the other day, because oh. there was a local play called Love Song Dedications I saw that. Richard that's, that's what planted his uh, the idea of him in my mind. Right, yeah. Inception. But um, yeah, man, the whiplash between one and two is crazy. You go from this really intense movie of close counter-dangle close-ups of Tom Cruise looking paranoid and grabbing his temples to Mission Impossible 2. Richard, you've never seen me very upset. Yeah. All right, Hunt. <laughs> a great <laughs> yes, night with exactly. Great, but shot Fantastic. from below like that. Beautiful. Yeah, perfect. Um, Mission Impossible 2 is like, the the first half I think is just really bad. Um, it's just super dumb. Uh, romance that we don't care about. Villains that we don't particularly care about. But then the second half, once John Woo cuts loose with the action, is fantastic. <laughs> the action is so dumb. It's great. Where they fly off the motorcycles yeah, onto like each other. so ridiculously it, it, over-stylized, like op- operatic music and, and Tom Cruise doing millions of flips and twirls that are totally unnecessary. Yeah, Jewel-wielding guns, like Chow Yun-Fat. Bollywood loves that stuff. Bollywood does oh, love that God. stuff. I was thinking about how, how much Bollywood oh, stuff I've no seen. Idea. No, seriously. <laughs> yeah, I, the I think o- the well, only yeah. legacy of Mission Impossible 2 is that I get to take friends to come overseas Bollywood. to La Perouse and say, <laughs> you know, hey, here's, uh, here's uh, where they filmed Mission Impossible 2. Here's where they filmed The Matrix. It's but, part of my film tour. But yeah, yeah, even Mission Impossible 2, which was like the huge spectacle at the time, looks so small scale compared to what the series is doing now and what action movies now are in even general. Even 4 to an extent, where they go to India of all places and it's like the slower sequence, which leads to the yeah. uh, faster sequence where he's fighting in the car lift. Right, but it shows creeping in the f- kind of formula elements of action movies today where they've got this race against time thing in, at the end of 4 to turn off some missiles before they they hit somewhere you know we, we've got to have this like apocalyptic yeah, circumstances going yeah, on every this movie has to compete with superman every film from like three four five and six has been some kind of apocalyptic kind of weapon going off and yeah it can no longer be one small was scale. one was still like the knock list which was the entire database of imf yeah, agents but, but yeah. still not the whole world was going to die exactly what do we think of mission impossible three uh, I really like it. It's my second favorite after one. Okay. And um, this would be my number three. Fallout would be number three. I think the rabbit's foot was too nondescript. I think Philip Hoffman, as good as he is, needed a better character, as did Billy Crudup. Um, the running sequence at the end was quite entertaining, as was the low-altitude parachute jump. Um, mm. I like the sequence on the bridge, I think, but I think it's a bit of a letdown in terms I of the whole too. series. I do, too. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman brought so much, you know, real evil gravitas, gravitas yeah. to his villain. But, um, you know, this is a bit of an easy criticism of J.J. Abrams making his directorial feature debut. 
but it feels very television, you know, like it's very plot driven and, and talky, his twist, 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 twist. So the, the, the IMF are not these cloak and dagger group. We, we live in Virginia. They're part of the Department of Transport. We know who they are now. Yeah, it's no, not, a, there's no mistake. No one can that, decide what the IMF is over the course of this series. Yeah. It was great in the first no, one where there was still yeah. this, you know, nondescript clandestine organization. And uh, now it's yeah. just, oh, Lawrence Fishburne runs them. Okay, sure. <laughs> I liked the shot that got used in all the trailers where the missile hits, hits the car. No, the missile hits the bridge that was, and Tom Cruise flies into the car. That, that was, was cool. Great, though. I thought the um, the jump in Shanghai felt, uh, you know, like too fake and CG. The series has really upped the scale of those kinds of diving or you know climbing but sequences. Tom Cruise actually doing, then. including the amazing helicopter sequence in MI six. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, in that sense, uh, like just to cap off Tom Cruise's like amazingness. I actually not just the progression of the series, but the progression of Tom Cruise as an actor. Or like you know, person, you know, star having less and less uh, important characters to play. Yeah, yeah but, but, but also like that he's actually stayed relevant to some know? degree. That, that he's, just because I think, I think in order to stay relevant, he's really pushed himself into this. Yeah. I'm the incredible stuntman kind of kind of thing because that, that good on him. Good yeah, on him for doing it's, it. It's a way of, I, of keeping his star up in the air. He's the last number movie four. Star what do we think of Mission Impossible okay, no, Four? Number it's four. Funny. Number four is it's an action funny. comedy. Uh, I, I like Michael Nyquist in it. I found the Burj Khalifa sequence to be the series high. I, I found the whole mission accomplished bit to be a little too over the top. The bit in Russia with the fake backdrop was fantastic. Oh, that, um, that was hilarious. I think it has. I, I liked how. Brad Bird brought a lot of sprightly comedy to the action sequences. It made sense to do that after Mission Impossible 3, but again, you don't actually care that much about like yeah. the actual characters or double crosses or the villain. No. Number five, I think, isn't really that remarkable outside it's, it's of the opera sequence. I was about to say that. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. opera sequence is so good. Oh, so when, One when, of the best actions. Oh, so, yeah. And so so suspenseful. That was almost like something what De Palma would have done. Yes. Oh. And the ending was quite a good twist. Oh, so, oh, so when, an Austri- when a head of state just dies and Europe doesn't seem to react at all. Yeah, come bizarre. On. A, a little bit um, bizarre. But yeah, yeah, yeah it, let alone the worst. Kremlin getting blown up in, oh, yeah. in number four. Not a big deal. But Rogue Nation, I think, is a film that there's not much point in watching now. It just seems like a rough draft for Fallout. Uh, yeah, I it's think like it's been totally better. superseded. Right, so, so we have to we have to head off. Um, final views on Fallout. I think it's the series highest. I'll say the probably, first one. Pro, yeah, I think you're right. Second best. Then I would go. I'd recommend it in spite of what Ghost we said today. Ghost Protocol and two, and then three and five. What about you? Yeah, third best. Five third, and three is the uh, worst. Yeah. Uh, one, one, three, then six. No, then no. Two, two is two is probably it's between two or three that's the worst yeah. actually. No, uh, I would still say five is the worst. Five is the first wow, okay. worst by far. No, I quite liked five. It's I unnecessary. St- I just feel it's it five. is unnecessary, but like it was an entertainingly well-made action movie. I think, especially and, just because of the opera and scene, going through the locales and Rebecca Ferguson, the most interesting character yeah. who's been introduced in four movies. Uh, I'd go. Her dress was fantastic. I go one six five four three <laughs> two. Uh, so that is our Mission Impossible coverage. Mission Impossible 6 Fallout is in cinemas from tomorrow. The Korean it's Film good. Festival in Australia. It would recommend you see it. In sp- yeah, I, I definitely yeah. absolutely recommend yeah, um, it. Like all, it, all in agreement. This, yeah. this, you know, the action just speaks for itself in this film. It does. And, and, it's, and, and for and, a lot of a lot of listeners will find the criticisms we've been putting out petty nitpicking compared to the thrill the action scenes give you. I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. I am totally, yeah. in cinemas, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Korean Film Festival Australia is in cinemas from the next week, from the 8th of August. We'll be joining you next week from Myth. Thank you for subscribing to the podcast. This has been Glenn Founds, Chris Evans, and Parant Nehru. Enjoy movies. Enjoy your impossible missions if you choose to accept them. We told you where we were going, so next week won't be a holiday for us. <laughs> 
It's, it's work. <laughs> We've it's accepted work. the mission yeah, of covering yeah, a film we, festival we, we, outside of our we, state. We got a sh- like a, these sunglasses and they told us to go and we just did it. Yep. We just it was just great. Yeah, and we paid for it too. <laughs> we, we unlike Tom we Cruise, paid for though, I actually too. badly burnt my hand because I threw the sunglasses just like a, a fraction of a <laughs> second too late. He's supposed to do quickly because they explode. Yeah. They give you a warning and it's self-destruct. I know, but you know, I tried to emulate Tom Cruise and you know how he holds on to them right until they're about to blow Dude, up and that- somehow it got away with it. I just don't have Cruise's luck. Yeah, he's there is a so, lot of luck. So what this, even the, acknowledge the, that the message that I've learned is don't try and do your own stunts. Yeah, yeah, like d- Tom Cruise. D- d- Leave d- it to Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Do not try these stunts at home. Our biggest advice from this film: yeah. have a wonderful night, enjoy movies, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Good night.